Hello everyone, this is your host, Father John Muriel. Welcome everybody to our podcast, The 100 Show with Father John Muriel. Today I thought we would do a different kind of podcast, as you know. My podcast, are, uh, oh, my podcast is unscripted. We don't do a lot of editing or heavy editing technology or any of those things. I want to present myself to you as a real human being. And speaking of being a real human being, I thought today's episode will be a little bit different. In this episode, I want to introduce myself and give you guys a little bit of history of who am I, uh, where I come from, how did I get into ministry, and why do I do what I do. So, with any more, any more to say, let us, let us get started, okay? I thank you all for being here. You found this podcast, you found the time to stay here and, and listen to our devotionals. I try to give you guys good tips for a practical Christian living. I try to provide good answers. I try to provide guidance. And more than anything, I try to become a friend, a friend who understands your struggles in life, a friend who understands your struggles with sin, and a friend who understands a thing or two about salvation in Christ or love. So let us begin with uh, telling you who am I. My name is John. Uh, the first name spells J-H-O-N. Everybody always asks me how do I spell my name and why do I spell it like that. And the reason being is I'm originally from Colombia. That's right. I'm from South America. And in South America, that's how we spell John, J-H-O-N. And they told me that they spell John like that to differentiate from Juan. They do not like the same translation. And in my particular case, my mother happened to have a crush in a famous Hollywood actor. You probably heard of him, a guy named John Travolta. Yeah. So no, I do not have the green eyes or the blonde hair that John Travolta has, but that is my mother's testimony as to how she chose my name. Now, speaking of where I come from and speaking about my mother, let me tell you, I did grow up in very difficult circumstances. My mother comes from a broken home. As a result, our own home was always broken. My mom lived in the world pretty much all her life. She would um, work on the weekends. She would work at nights. And the kind of work that she did was very explicit. At a very own age, I had to witness different men coming in, coming out, different people in our lives. We get to live in very undecidable neighborhoods, pretty much ghettos all the time. By the age of five, I received my second brother, or my first brother, uh, I became a babysitter at a very early age. And after that, we would move from place to another place. Uh, uh, sometime in our lives, we were abandoned on a small farm. And in that farm, we became ill many times. We, were, we suffered from malnutrition and we suffered from infections. And we waited there 
for a few months until we were rescued. We were hoping to get rescued. My mom came back with yet another guy and they took us away from that horrible place. We moved to a better city. We spent some time with Anne and other cousins, which was never difficult. They were five cousins and now the two of us, we were seven in the household. Financially struggling all the time. And to make matters worse, my aunt's husband was a very mean guy, somebody who enjoyed physical punishment and abuse to some degree. And then we moved uh, with another guy to a different place and we got, I received my sister and then my, my youngest brother and now we were four. Dynamics were very difficult there. I was always the babysitter. I was always helping around the farm, helping with different cars and trying to get good grades at school. Growing up in the middle, in the middle of poverty, uh, it wasn't easy. In my house, there were drugs, there were alcohol, there were prostitution, and lots and lots of physical and psychological abuse. Those were difficult times. And I do remember as I was going to primary school, my teacher said that these ladies were coming from the big city to visit our village, and they will be teaching us catechism with the idea of celebrating a community first communion. And I remember I was not very excited about it. And one of the reasons was I didn't have the resources. I knew I didn't have the resources. And I was not going to church because transportation was very difficult. My parents would never take us to church. They were living in the war, as I said before, and those were tough times. But regardless of that, I very reluctantly started assisting to the catechism class, which was very difficult because they also decided to schedule it in the, in the middle of the summertime vacation. So I was sacrificing my very little free time to go to this catechism class. And then I was introduced to the name of Jesus. And I was introduced to the name of God. But I remember living in a miserable existence. Many years of abuse and intolerance and punishments. And I, I spoke to God. And I say, look, I'm not very interested in doing my first communion. But you know very well, the place where I live, I don't want to live here no more. I don't want to see my brothers and my little sister living in this place. I want to make a deal with you. Yes, that's how arrogant I was. I said, I want to make a deal with you. I will go through this catechism class. I will do my first communion. But if you're real, you're going to take me far away from this place. And that's what happened. I went through the classes. And out of charity, people around me, people who knew me, people who were not even related to me, they were not my family, and they decided to support my First Communion. This beautiful family who I hold close to my heart, they, they provided me with uh, three pieces of soup, 
I had a beautiful outfit. I got brand new shoes for the first time in my life. I believe I got brand new underwear. I was so thrilled that these people came out and they even got me a cake and they traveled to my very humble residence to celebrate my first communion. And I just remember that day as probably one of the happiest days of my life. I cannot describe how excited, how happy, how thrilled I was. And ever since then, I decided to give my faith in God. I was given a little tiny book called the New Testament, and I will read that New Testament any chance I got. Wherever I will go, I will go with that little book. Wherever I will travel, I got a Bible with me. And I finished my elementary school years and I went into secondary and on the first year of my secondary studies uh, religion was taught and it was mandatory it was part of the, of, the, of the teachings of the school of the college and I met uh, this gentleman an old gentleman by the name of Ovidio Quintero Ovidio Quintero happens to be a priest and I asked him where his church was, and he told me. And I started attending his church. And ever since then, I wanted to become a priest. That was in my mind. I want to be like him when I grow up. And I love his teachings, and I love that guy. I don't know if he's still alive, but if somebody in Colombia knows Father Ovidio Quintero, I owe my vocation to him. <laughs> But then again, my situation uh, in my home was never stable. It was never healthy. So I would move in and out of the house until about the age of 14. I couldn't take it anymore. The situation got physical and violent with my stepfather, and I had to flee. I put all my books in my backpack and a couple of clothes on a old cardboard box. And I jumped into a bus and I, I just went. And I just went to the same family who was previously supporting me for my first communion, the, the abuela Carmelita, Carmel, Carmen Bravo Porras, that family. They didn't have too, ma too many resources either, but they had so much love to give. And she welcomed me into her home and I will continue my studies there one year there, maybe one year in a different city with uncles and cousins, and one year back into that town with Carmelita. But always in extreme poverty. Always working to pay for my food, uh, my shelter, and trying to keep up good grades while you're still working to survive is not an easy task. Time came up and I somehow, for some, by the grace of God only really, I finished high school without being involved in gangs, without going to jail, without breaking the law, which was was everybody was waiting for. After growing up in broken homes and people knowing my mother and her history, that was the expectation that my brothers and I, we all gonna end up in jail. But by the grace of God, I maintained good grades or decent grades, and I managed to finish my high school. In Colombia, up to that time, 
military service was mandatory. And at that time, you could serve your government or serve your country in two branches mainly. You could serve in the army, which nobody wanted because it was too tough. Or you could serve in the police. Uh, that way, you stay local, you sleep at home every night. And that's what everybody wanted. But when it was time for the selection process, I wanted to go to the army because I didn't have a place to stay. I didn't have a place to sleep. I didn't, I was homeless at the time. I was sleeping on my grandparents' taxi at night for two reasons. Number one, to watch the taxi that nobody would vandalize it. And number two, because there was nowhere else to sleep. That's how I finished high school. I remember in the morning, my legs would hurt because I couldn't stretch my legs in the night. I would go to high school with a cup of coffee and come back from high school and start designing and drafting plans for constructions. And that's how I earn a living. That's what I would do to, to pay for a little food here and then uh, just to go by. So naturally, when the selection process for the military service came, I wanted to go to the army because in my mind, I had, you know, I'm going to have a roof over my head. I'm going to have three meals a day and I'm going to have some discipline. I could use all of those at this time. But God didn't want it that way. Uh, he wanted me to serve in the police department. Luckily for me, by his grace, I was choosing to keep drafting as I was serving my country so it wasn't too difficult except for the fact that on the first three months you don't receive any remuneration and i had to struggle for transportation for meals for shelter that i managed by the grace of god i remember thinking that i wanted to be a priest i need to go to the seminar but when i inquired about the seminar formation the prices for lodging and tuition were uh, a fantasy for me, really. It was absolutely unrealistic. There were no ways I could get either a sponsor or, or come out with that money from anywhere without breaking the law anyway. So in in the good sense of the word, I had like to kiss goodbye that dream of becoming a priest. And I did what I had to do, finish my military service, and after finishing my military service, I had to choose a career path with no access to college, with no access to superior education, higher education. I did what everybody recommended me to do. As, as, I, as I did very good on my military service, I was recommended to the police academy. So I had to, I had to check my real uh, possibilities and the tuition for seminary was unthinkable and the tuition for the police academy was more realistic. Even when it was more realistic, I still didn't have all the money so I had to discipline myself and after finishing the military service, I would work full time, day or night, different shifts, weekends, whatever I could do just to save money and I saved enough to for one year and after one year I went to the military academy and I became a police officer with a degree of patrullero 
that's how they call it, the, the, the first level, the entry level of the police department of Colombia. From then, I was designated to be part of the anti-narcotics police department. I work in the ports and I will specialize in preventing drugs from being smuggled into the United States or Asia or Europe. And I was very good at it. I built a reputation. I was always performing well. After that, uh, I was transferred to Bogota. And from Bogota, they will send me to uh, another uh, another department of the Anti-Narcotics Police Department. And I, be I became part of a operational team. Think like SWAT, but in the jungle. That is the name of the group, actually, Commandos Ungla. So I went to excruciating training with people from the UK, the SAS service. And the training was uh, very, very strong, very, very demanding. But I think it built my character. And I became that. I became a commando. Again, I was thinking that I would never reach my dream of becoming a priest. So I decided to be good at whatever it is that I was going to do. That I was going to do. So yeah, I became good at it, and a couple of years later, I would have an accident, and I would go to recovery and very painful therapy. And one of the or the only distractions that I had during therapy was to go to a couple houses down the road from where I was staying to play on a PlayStation. You pay by the hour because it was very difficult to get one of those consoles at the time, so you, there were people who were rented. And I remember going to my neighbor's house and pay for a couple hours and play whilst I was recovering from my injury. And in that house, I met uh, the most beautiful woman I ever met. And we clocked, we, we fell in love right away. But it was also the time when I needed to leave. It was time for me to go back to work, so we will start a long-distance relationship. And I remember going back to work and going through very dangerous operations, operations where my life was at risk, operations where I lose some of my teammates, some of my commandos, and I saw people being blown up, I saw helicopters crashing, I saw my friends being born in a in a drug processing centers in the middle of the jungle. And those were very tough experiences that made me realize this is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. I always wanted to be a priest. And what am I doing here, risking my life? Is it worth it? And then I discovered that some of my previous commanders from the ports were corrupt and sent to jail for corruption. And it made me realize that perhaps I was risking my life for nothing. And going back to this lady, I just, I just knew it. Something told me that she was the right. But something also told me that it was time for me to move out of Colombia. Luckily for me, I was an aficionado to learn English and I was teaching myself English 
Every Sunday, I would pick the newspaper and there would be a lesson there for free. And I was thinking, hey, this is free teaching. I can use this. And that's how I taught myself very basic level English. And working in cooperation with the DEA, I saw some of their agents in Colombia, but they would be very isolated because of the language barrier. And I found in them an opportunity to practice and in the midst of that practice, we became friends. And a few months later, uh, my friends from the DEA told me, uh, hey, Muriel, we want to do something nice for you. It's dangerous for you here. Uh, we have a recommendation for you that perhaps it's better for you to move up to the States. And do you have family there? And I said, yeah, I got family there. I said, well, we're going to help you out. We're going to be out of here pretty soon. Just bring me your passport. And I told them, and I think, I I cannot say the name of the agent, but that guy was an angel to me. Uh, and I told him, look, I have a girlfriend. And he said, no, girlfriends, no. If you want her to come with you, you put a ring on her finger. <laughs> so without even asking my girlfriend at the time, I went to a pawn shop. And in that pound shop, I found two rings. Somebody pounded and never got back, and I bought them. I didn't even know that they were going to fit. But I just bought them, and I escaped a little quick from my department, and I went to visit my girlfriend, and I put that ring on her finger. And I told her the plan, and she loved it. Uh, luckily enough, she got her passport ready. And long story short, my friends got us our visas in a very short period of time. We didn't have to go through the normal process. We didn't have to stand online or pay for an appointment. It was all done for us by the grace of God. I, as I say, this agent was an angel for me. Moved to the, the United States, arriving in Houston. Uh, we started our process for asylum. Uh, the way MCA was very helpful they assisted us through the process, to finding our first jobs, to going to Houston Community College to pay English as a second language. And we moved from there. And I, and I say, okay, this is a new lifestyle. I'm so grateful for the opportunity. I have a beautiful wife. I have the opportunity of being in the United States legally and start a new chapter in my life and start building a future. But I was resentful at the Catholic Church. I was mad because in my mind, I wanted to be a good priest. I could be a good material for the Church of Christ. And the only impediment was money. And I'm thinking at the time, you know, the Vatican, they got so much money. Why would they want my money if I want to serve? So I was struggling with the idea. And because of that struggle, I would not go to church. My wife started going to church, and she met a priest from Colombia. And he was a funny priest, very easygoing, very social guy. And she would start playing the guitar at mass. She would go every Sunday, and not before inviting me, but I was reluctant, and I preferred to stay home watching soccer or football. One day the good Lord said, John, get up, take a shower, put your dress on, and go to church. And I say, yes, sir. And I went. And I met him, the priest, Father Alonso, 
and I start attending everything he will do. Bible studies, I will be there, meetings, reunions, church service, I was there. He will invite me to become a, a, a lector, a reader, and he liked the way I read the scripture. Remember, from a very young age, I was always reading the New Testament. So he liked my skill and he was curious and he asked me, uh, how could you don't be a priest? I said, well, don't you see? <laughs> I'm married. He said, that's not a problem. He said, excuse me, Father, did I hear you correctly? He said, yeah. Uh, there are a few organizations where you can be married and still be a priest. And I say, name one. <laughs> he say, the old Catholic Church. I was like, what? Is this new? What's, what's going on? And then he told me the story. No, it's not new. Actually, the uh, old Catholic Church is an organization of independent churches who started after the First Vatican Council of 1870. At that time, the Pope uh, proclaimed his infallibility, meaning that whatever he will say is the word of God, period. Some people accepted and some people didn't accept it. So the people that rejected that dogma became known as the old Catholic churches. They are very big today in, in Europe, especially uh, the Netherlands and Germany and France, Switzerland also. And there are also some organizations in here in America. So I was introduced to the bishop, the presiding bishop, the archbishop, and I just fell in love with the, with the organization. I started my studies. Uh, I was allowed to work full time to, you know, to help my wife. I was working as an EMT. I was in the ambulance business where I met some of you, some of my loyal friends. And I was going to uh, EMT school, but also taking seminar classes uh, long distance. And I was working in the ambulance, and I would travel to the retreats where we will expose our homework and practice our skills and continue our formation. The American Old Catholic Church, with a main office in Aurora, Colorado, was the seminary institution that will guide us through the process. In 2009, I was ordained as a deacon. In Houston, Texas, five different bishops made the trip to Houston for my ordination as a deacon. And I was so happy. I made some mistakes during that time on my diaconate. I had some struggles on my marital life. I think nobody can escape those. But with time, we were able to work some things out. And I remained, I came back to the church and they accepted me back and I continued my formation. In 2015, I was ordained to the priesthood in Albuquerque, New Mexico. No, again, in Aurora, Colorado. In Aurora, Colorado, I will became a priest. Again, ordained by five bishops and one archbishop of the old Catholic Church. My good friends and family from Houston, they all made the trip. Uh, some of them made the trip to Denver and came back. And it was a very beautiful moment, probably the happiest day of my life. 
And that's how I became a priest. Now, when you are part of the old Catholic Church, you, you don't have a parish, per se, like the Romans do. You have to do your own ministry. You start to build from the ground up, and you go from there. So I was lucky enough to continue working in the ambulance or in the hospitals. And eventually I became a hospice chaplain, and that's what I do up until today. I still visiting people who got terminal diagnosis, and I try to help them and provide spiritual support for them. I help with the funerals, and I help with weddings, and I help with quinceañeras. And I work for a living. I try different businesses to supplement, but uh, that's, that's the story. That's how I got here. And the reason why I'm sharing my testimony today is because I want people to remember that it's never too late. When God has plans for you, He will find a way. He will make the way. And when you think that you're not worthy enough, God thinks that you are worthy enough. He, he thinks so highly of you that He invests in you. He has certainly invested in me. He brought me out from a very difficult childhood, from very difficult circumstances, very, very far away, as I asked him when I was doing my first communion, and he did, and he brought me to a different country, and he taught me another language, and he got me ministry to ministering to people of all different nations. I have patients from Italy, I have patients from Greece, I have patients from Spain, I got people from Nigeria, I got people from Brazil, I got people from all denominations. I serve the Catholics, the Romans or no. I serve customers who were Orthodoxes. I serve people who are Protestants, whatever, Baptist, Lutheran, Methodist. And I work with people who are dying and I think that that pain is the great equalizer. At that moment, when somebody's dying, somebody that you love deeply is dying, that is the great equalizer. That's when all our differences fall apart. The pain that we go through makes us one. And the grace of the Lord keeps us together. And I love that aspect of my ministry, is that I can go beyond divisions and beyond denominations and be united by God's grace in a moment of pain and sorrow that later on becomes a moment of gratitude and grace and healing. Thank you for listening to my podcast, the 100 Show podcast. I'm Father John, you host. And I hope that if you find my podcast beneficial to you in any sense, please don't forget to recommend it to friends and family. We also have a Facebook page. It has the same name on our podcast. And I encourage you to go there and subscribe to that group. That is where we are building a community. We pray for each other. We help each other out. And we stay in touch. The world is full of distractions. And becoming a Christian is getting offensive. So we need to stick together and maintain our faith. And remember that we are here for a reason. And when the world doesn't know where it wants to go, we got a clear image of where we want to go. We have the concept, we know exactly where is it that we're going, and we know by the grace of who. So let us be proud, Christians. Let us be proud to be called the children of God. And let us keep doing anything we can to preserve our faith, 
to encourage one another, to help one another, to be kind to one another, and to remain the one church that God wants us to be, the church that, that Jesus came to build. Again, thank you for listening to this podcast. This is our episode number four. And if you have any ideas, what else would you like me to share with you? If you have any questions about this episode, how I became a priest, how did I get here, I encourage you to go to my Facebook page and send us a question or send us a prayer request. We're looking forward to build this community and stay in touch. Until next time, I pray the blessing of the God, the Father, and the Son of the Holy Spirit be upon you, upon your family, and I wish you nothing but the best in everything that you do. And Father John Muriel, until next time, God bless you.